our scripture reading this morning is from Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 through 28. If you have in Bibles, uh, these blue Bibles in the chairs, it's on page 1871. So I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews 9, starting at verse 11. When Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made, that is to say, not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more, then, will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. In the case of a will, it is necessary to prove the death of the one who made it, because a will is in force only when somebody has died. It never takes effect while the one who made it is living. This is why even the first covenant was not put into effect without blood. When Moses had proclaimed every commandment of the law to all the people, he took the blood of calves together with water, scarlet wool, and branches of hyssop, and sprinkled the scroll and all the people. He said, This is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you to keep. In the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tabernacle and everything used in its ceremonies. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. It was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again, the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Then Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But now he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. The word of the Lord. So I wonder if you're hungry today, and I'm actually not asking you whether you ate this morning or not. I'm hoping you came hungry to hear God's word and to know that it is real spiritual food for us to feed on. It strengthens us, sustains us. It speaks into our past, our present, our future. It is our guide for living a life that's holy and pleasing to God. We consider it our roadmap for life and uh, our training guide, uh, so to speak, spiritually, in living a life that is pleasing to God, honoring to Him, 
and uh, encouraging to us a life that is ultimately abundant and full and joyful. So I pray that you hear and receive God's word in light of that today. Uh, We have been in a series that we call the Foundations of Faith, looking at the letter of Hebrews in the book of the Bible, uh, New Testament, near the end. We're uh, about two-thirds our way through it, and today we're in uh, Hebrews 9, verses 11 through 18. If you grabbed a uh, bulletin this morning, it's in the insert in your bulletin. You're also going to see it up on the screen. And uh, as we prepare our hearts to hear and receive God's word, uh, my prayer for you is that God speaks directly to you today. Uh, and it could be through me, could be directly through the word, or it could be through some impression, uh, movement of the Holy Spirit upon your own heart. Sometimes uh, one of my favorite things is when I talk to somebody after the service and they said, I love it when you said, and I actually didn't say it, but God said it <laughs> to you directly, and you're having your own conversation with God, all this is going on, and I'm just kind of providing the background noise up here. If that's you today, praise God. Uh, However he chooses to speak to you, uh, we honor that. Uh, But his word written for us and recorded uh, is part of scripture from Hebrews 9, verse 11 through 28. When Christ came as a high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made. That is to say, it's not part of this creation. He did not enter by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciousness from the acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. In the case of a will, it is necessary to prove the death of the one who made it, because a will is in force only when somebody has died. It never takes effect while the one who made it is living. This is why even the first covenant was not put into effect without blood. When Moses had proclaimed every commandment of the law to the people, he took the blood of calves together with water, scarlet wool, and branches of hyssop, and sprinkled it on the scroll and all the people. He said, this is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you to keep. In the same way, he sprinkled uh, with blood both the tabernacle and everything used in the ceremonies. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. It was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Then Christ would have had to suffer many times over. Just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. And he will appear a second time to bear sins 
not to bear sin, but to bring salvation for those who are waiting for him. This is God's word uh, to us. As I said on Ash Wednesday, Wednesday night, uh, we started this season of Lent with a special worship service. Uh, We impose ashes on people's forehead as a sign of our identification with Christ's death for us. Really, none of that, that isn't just an Ash Wednesday thing. This is the whole of Lent, the season of preparation between now and Easter Sunday when we celebrate the resurrection. What Lent is all about is this. It's a season of identity and identification. In other words, it's about our identity in Jesus and our identification with his death for us. As I quoted in, uh, on uh, Ash Wednesday, Galatians 2.20 has great language for this. It says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In other words, we identify and find our identity and belonging in Jesus, in who he is. But we also identify with what he has done for us in his death for us. And so there's a a shift that is meant to take place in our journey of faith. Where we lay down our own lives and we allow Christ's life to fill us. And then what happens here is essentially we lay down our own agendas for life, our own sense of identity, worth, value, and we allow Christ and what he has done to define us. So in other words, our identity is not found in how big our house is, how fast our car is, how great our retirement plan. It is not found in uh, the nature of our work directly. It is not found in whether people receive us or reject us in everyday life. Our identity is found in Jesus and what God thinks of us through him and what he's done for us. When we make that shift, we can find a life of meaning and purpose and value that we never could have dreamed of, where we celebrate that part of Galatians 2.20 that that he has loved us and gave himself for us. He loved us. And he was willingly, willingly sacrificed himself for us so that we could find greater meaning and purpose. And what happens in this process is as we let go of other attachments, those things that we might find our identity and worth and value in, and we lay hold of God's attachment and and, uh, clinging to us through Christ, we we find the the sense that, that we're loved and cared for. And all the things we often struggle and strive for in our everyday life, we find him giving to us as a gift. When we think about Christ's death for us, what we find is this, that he laid down his life and that becomes our foundation of faith. And we think about how we can like recover our lives and, and sort of find restoration. What the Bible is telling us is that we can find that in Jesus. That in the midst of our restlessness, he wants to lead us to a place of spiritual rest. In the midst of uh, those times when we struggle and strive for approval, What we can find is we already have approval before the Father because of Jesus. And when we think about our humanity and our frailty, the the human condition, what we find is Jesus takes on flesh for for us and, and then places himself as an offering before God to heal our humanity, our sinfulness, our frailty, and to lead us into a place of joy and fullness once again. 
What the writer of Hebrews is saying is that in the Old Testament, in the sacrificial system, it was only able to cleanse people on the outside. But Christ's death for us is able to change us from the inside out and give us new meaning and purpose. And he illuminates three primary things that, is, that are accomplished through what Christ has done for us. And the first is this. Christ's once and for all sacrifice redeems us. Okay? By his sacrifice, Christ obtained what the writer says is eternal redemption. Redemption is this picturesque word, but it refers originally to setting somebody free who's like a prisoner of war, paying uh, the ransom price to free somebody from slavery. It was used in the slave market of Jesus' day and time. And so what essentially is happening is somebody is paying the price for somebody who is a slave or enslaved and buying them back and giving them a new identity as part of that, that family. So what Jesus does in redeeming us is he pulls us out of slavery to sin and he gives us a new identity in him as his sons and daughters. Man, I, I always loved the song Run, the, Run to the Father, but it was just so perfectly placed in the service today. <laughs> and, and it's a wonder because we actually planned the worship service today um, while out watching one of Josh's baseball games at Nevada Union High School. I'm like, instead of just planning in the office, you might, guys want to go watch a baseball game and do a little worship planning? They're like, yeah. I'm like, I'll bring the chairs and the drinks and, and we'll plan worship. And we did. And God does his thing more above and beyond we could ask or imagine because run to the Father captured everything I'm about to tell you. Because behind that song is the parable of the prodigal son. And if you remember that story, there's an older son and younger son and And the younger son comes to his father and asks for his inheritance. And if you ask for your inheritance from your father in Jesus' day and age, you're basically telling him you want him to die because you just want his money. Okay? Because you didn't receive an inheritance until somebody died. And the passage talks about that. They would have to verify that somebody died before they would release an inheritance in Jesus' day. So the younger son, Brashley, comes to the father and asks for his inheritance. And the, and the father gives it to him in that story. But the younger son goes to a, a distant country and we're told that he squanders it in wild living and drinking and, and parties and, and women and all this. And he comes to the end of himself. Things get so bad for this guy that he's, he's literally feeding pods to pigs as his, as his job. And he, and he basically comes to his senses and he realizes, says, how many of my father's hired hands, his slaves, have food to eat and drink? I'm going to go back to my father's house and tell him, uh, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired hands. Like the son is just hoping to be received back as a slave. But what happens in that story? The father runs out to meet him, right? And he wraps his arms around him and he puts a new cloak on him. And, and he gives a ring, put a ring on, puts a ring on his finger, that sign that he's, he's family. And we're told that he kills a fattened calf and they throw a big party and you celebrate. And if you've ever been in my office meeting with me, you will see Rembrandt's uh, painting of the return of the prodigal son because it's in about four points in my office. And so no matter which chair of the four you're meeting with me, you will see that painting in the, in the background. 
Because I always want to remember, and I always want you to remember, that we are that younger son. The problem is we come back and we say, I want to be received through my work. I want to be a slave in your house and and for you to relate to me because I'm going to do stuff for you. But the father in parables says, I don't want a slave. I want a son. I want to receive you and welcome you back. And if you've seen that painting before, the guy's clothes are torn, one of his shoes, the the heel's completely missing. You see the bottom of his, his naked foot. And, and so when the, old, when the father is placing that robe around him, he's clothing him in, in, in righteousness, in a right relationship with him. Again, he's covering over his guilt and shame, torn clothes. And he's welcoming him back again as a son. What Jesus does for us in his once and for all sacrifices, he redeems us. He moves us out of a life of slavery to sin, and he makes us sons and daughters again through his sacrifice for us. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin are death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So apart from Christ, we're, we're ticketed for eternal death, separated from God because of our sin. But Christ came to redeem us. Mark 10.45 says it this way, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom, redemption, ransom for many Jesus buys us back and brings us back into a relationship with God. And redemption here is really about our past and what we've done in the past. And what I want to point to in this part of the message is Christ's once and for all sacrifice is meant to deal with our past fully and finally. It's meant to just wash it away clean so that we are forgiven and we don't have to go back there again. Uh, C.S. Lewis in his Chronicles of Narnia and the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe has Aslan uh, and a lion serve as a, he's a Christ figure. And, and uh, in, in the story, Edmund, one of the four children that find themselves in Narnia, has become a traitor. And he, he's uh, served uh, the White Witch, this queen of Narnia. And so Aslan goes about restoring relationship by willingly sacrificing himself to cover over Edmund's sin. And the line, which is something I love, uh, Aslan, in, after dying, uh, is risen again, and he tells the children that when a willing victim dies in a traitor's stead, death itself starts working backwards. And in Christ's death for us, it redeems our past. It, it covers over all the guilt and the shame that we carry from our past. It's meant to free us and give us new life. And it's meant to be once and for all. Christ's sacrifice is not like the human sacrifices. It took place in the temple. It was not again and again and again. And it wasn't human. It was Jesus, fully God and fully man, dying for us, a once and for all sacrifice so that we could be forgiven fully and finally. Remember Christ's dying words on the cross? It is finished. It is finished. So I just want you to take a moment, and I'm going to invite you to close your eyes here. And I want you to think about anything from the past that you've carried with you. Anything that you've struggled to receive God's grace and forgiveness for. Anything that has bound you or enslaved you by the memories of it. And it's something you've carried. And I want, to say, I want you to say out loud with me, 
It is finished. One, two, three. It's finished. It's done away with. And in that redemption, the good news is not only is the past cleared through Christ once and all for all sacrifice, that redemption is to meant to, to bear spiritual fruit in the present. And what I mean by that is this. It's not just that the past is done. It actually can be used by God for good in the present. So, uh, for instance, if you've experienced the, the death of a, a spouse or a, a loved one, a family member, a child like, like Beth and I have in, in our past, uh, what God can do is move through that grief and loss and actually work in your life so that you could be present for somebody else and part of God's redemptive process for them. If you are somebody who has struggled with addiction to drugs, alcohol, pornography, anything like that that has bound you and enslaved you, God not only wants to redeem you of that and restore you as a son or daughter in relationship with him, he wants you to to minister and use that brokenness to help other people find healing. You can be a part of somebody else's redemptive process of growing through their grief and loss or continuing or growing in their recovery. So that they know that they are not alone and their hurts and harms from the past can be redeemed also. That's the good news. Not just that it's done away with, but it actually can be used for good. In the Levitical uh, process of sacrifices in the Old Testament, uh, there was a practice. And, and uh, it, interestingly enough, while I'm preaching these sermons on Hebrews, my own devotional life uh, is in the Old Testament, and I'm reading Leviticus. And Leviticus could be one of the most boring books of the Bible. And more often than not, I've had people tell me, hey, I started this plan of reading the Bible in the new year. Genesis was great. Uh, got through Exodus, awesome. And I got to Leviticus, and it's like, what is this all about? Well, it's all about God dealing with your problem of sin and pointing forward to how he ultimately does that in Jesus. And in a Levitical practice, you had two ways that, that the, the response of the sacrifice related to sin in the Old Testament. And the one was an animal being sacrificed, the blood of the animal being sacrificed to cleanse you and forgive you, okay? And, and that they would place a, a lamb on the altar, slaughter it. The, its blood would lead to your forgiveness, okay? If, if you were a, a person following God in that time. But the other thing that would happen was this. Uh, they would place two animals, a lamb, uh, two lambs in, the, in, the, in the, the temple or in the tent of meeting. And the one would be slaughtered and its blood shed for you. But the other one became what would be called a scapegoat. And it, it was actually where the, the priest would then place his hands on the, the goat or the lamb and, and place all the sins of the people on that animal. But then it was actually set free. And it would go out into the wilderness running free. Like, okay, I just saw what happened to my, uh, the other lamb in the, in the room. And I don't want that to happen. Okay, I'm, I'm free. I can go. So when we think about what happens with Jesus in the New Testament... He's brought forward from Pilate, with Pilate, right? Pilate says, and, and there's two people there, Jesus and Barabbas, a guy who had participated in an attempt to overthrow the Roman government. And, and Pilate says, here's Jesus, claimed to be the Messiah. Do you, do you want him to be set free? And they say, no, crucify him. And what happens as a result? Barabbas becomes a scapegoat. He's set free. He isn't put to death. Jesus is put to death. 
And so Jesus, like that, that lamb that's slain and his blood uh, is your, the source of forgiveness, is the one who is sacrificed for you. And you are like Barabbas. You are set free. You're the scapegoat. You're free. You're past your sin under the old covenant, trying to earn our way to God, has been cleansed and is done away with. Jesus has bought you back to bring you into a new relationship with him. The blood of the sacrifice of once and all sacrifice of Christ redeems us and redeems us particularly from our past. Second point, and I'll move through these other two more quickly. Christ once and for all sacrifice cleanses our conscience. So it redeems our past, but it cleanses our conscience in the present. Verse 14 says this. How much more, how much more than the Old Testament sacrificial system will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciousness from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. Christ once and for all sacrifice cleanses our conscience. It doesn't just redeem our past. It changes our, our minds and it cleanses our minds. And isn't that where we often need cleansing? Because a lot of us are playing the old tapes in our heads, in our minds. The things that we've done in the past, the hurts and harms we've experienced, we recycle those on a daily basis. And God wants to, through Christ's blood shed for you, cleanse your mind, purify it, so that it is free and clear to think new thoughts, to think God thoughts, to think loving thoughts towards your enemies versus I got to get even thoughts towards your enemies. God comes and not only cleanses us on the outside, washes us, he does this on the inside. And he cleanses us in the inside through the Holy Spirit. Catch how much more with the blood of Christ through the eternal spirit. Christ dies for you and then in receiving his gift of life for you, he comes in and he cleanses our hearts and our minds so that we are free and forgiven from those old thoughts, habits, actions, and attitudes. He wants to renew your mind. And Romans 12, 2 talks about that for the, the renewing of our minds. He wants to transform us from within. And he does that through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit so that we can begin again. Titus 3, 5 says he washed us through the, the washing of rebirth and renewal through the power of the Holy Spirit. He wants to not only give us a, an external bath, Okay, like baptism. He wants that to have an internal reality of changing us from the inside out through the power and presence of his Holy Spirit. And he does that by shifting us from trying to reach, him from, reach God with our own works to allowing God's work on our behalf to be what settles the problem with sin. It actually says in the passage that Christ wants to purify us from dead works. He wants to purify us from trying to work our way to God. And he's basically saying, I've already done this for you. So Christ, once and for all, sacrifice redeems us and redeems our past. His once and for all sacrifice cleanses our conscience. And I really think about this in the present. Am I carrying anything in my mind that it's the old stuff? And do, am I allowing the messages from the past? And maybe somebody said something about you or, or tried to define you in a certain way. And, and, and what, what God wants to do is cleanse you of those, those wrong messages and those old ways of thinking and give you his way of thinking about you through Christ's cleansing of your heart and of your mind. 
Third point, Christ's once and for all sacrifice saves us from judgment. Okay, it deals with our past, redeeming our past. He's present with us and his once and for all sacrifice is meant to cleanse our conscience in the present, but it's also meant to anticipate that the future judgment that we will face with God is one we can rest in because of what God has done. The once and for all sacrifice of Christ is met with uh, Hebrews 9.27, just as man is destined to die once and after that face judgment, we all will die physically here on earth. We will all go to face our maker. But what the passage tells us is that Jesus has already gone ahead of us and met with the Father face to face and arranged our welcome and acceptance. He's already gone ahead of us to prepare the party when we come to be with him. And his own sacrifice of his life in death laid on the altar of heaven, not on earth, has provided an eternal redemption, again, to cleanse our conscience and also set us free from judgment. And church, if we get this right, it will transform our everyday life. Because I know, because if I know that God has accepted me, if I know that I will not face eternal judgment from the one who created me and ultimately died for me in Christ, it will transform the way I relate to other people. I am a recovering people pleaser. I want to please people. We all want to please people, don't we? We want to be liked. But if we put our own sense of acceptance, worth, and well-being on the altar each and every day, and what people think of us impacts our understanding of ourselves, we will be messed up. But if we trust that Jesus has already gone ahead of us, sacrificed himself, and you are accepted in the holy of holies of heaven in God's presence self, if you know and trust Jesus has already met with the Father face to face and said, hey, guess what? You know, Kermit's coming, but I've done this for him. Okay, guess what? Jessica's coming, but I've done this for her. Guess what? Guess what? Summer's coming here one day, but I've already sacrificed myself for her then we know and trust that what awaits us is not the throne of judgment. The throne of judgment is now the throne of grace because of Christ's sacrifice. And we can know that he awaits us to welcome us and to celebrate us in our eternity with him. Christ's once and for all sacrifice is meant to deal with our past, to redeem it. And there's a lot that we have experienced that we know we need redeemed. It's meant to deal with our present and our conscience, to clear it and free it. But it's also meant to anticipate an eternal future with God where we will one day see him face to face. But we can know and trust in that day when we go to meet with him, we've already been anticipated. And Christ's already done what's necessary for us to experience welcome and to be received. As we prepare for communion this morning, I just want to ask you a couple questions and lead us into prayer. The first question is this. Is it settled in your mind that you are forgiven? Or do you still carry a nagging sense of guilt or shame? If so, as we go into prayer and as we prepare our hearts for communion, I encourage you to meditate on the forgiveness brought about by Christ's death, that in him you are forgiven. You can meditate on the fact that Christ's blood has cleansed you once and for all from acts that led to death so that you may serve the living God. 
And if so, you can take this time to just thank God and have gratitude and thanksgiving for what he's done for you. He has cleansed you. He doesn't want you to bear the guilt and shame of your past anymore. He wants you to live in light of the new life that he has given you. 1 Peter 3.18 says it this way, For Christ died for sins once and for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit. So as we enter into prayer and as we receive communion this morning, I invite you to go ahead and close your eyes, if you would. Just join me in prayer. God, we thank you today that Christ once and for all sacrifice has redeemed our past. And we once again just leave some space and time to allow you to speak to us. If there's anything we carry from our past, right now we identify it. And we claim once again that through Christ, it is finished. And Lord, for those of us who may be here uh, this morning with a guilty conscience, we've done something (laughs) uh, this past week, this past day, this last hour that we know is displeasing to you. We confess those things right now and pray that your once and for all sacrifice would cleanse our conscience. And finally, Lord, as communion speaks to our past sin, your presence with us in the here and now, but also is about the the future heavenly banquet that we will experience, we pray, God, right now, that we would receive your assurance and gratitude and thanksgiving that through Christ we have been freed from eternal judgment and that we have been forgiven. Lord, we thank you for the gift of communion today and this time to celebrate that Christ once and for all sacrifice speaks to our past, speaks to us in the present, and also has something to say about our future, that you await us and anticipate us and are looking forward to one day welcoming us home where we will see you face to face.
loves us.